Hello and welcome. I'm Ben Schultz. I'm Nora Schultz, and that's not a coincidence. We're related. We're siblings. And this is Trying to Adapt, the podcast where we look at adaptations and talk about them. And today we're trying to adapt to Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol in Prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. That's the full title. So, I mean, right off the bat, you can see that adaptations have maybe changed a lot about um, Dickens' original story. Uh, like the title. And most importantly, perhaps, the title. This is like an introductory episode. So, from every episode from now on, we're going to be looking at a specific adaptation and we're going to be judging the way that it deals with the source material the way it expands on it, the way it fails to expand on it. Yeah, I feel like I should get right out of the way that, like, we're not going to be judging adaptations solely on how, like, quote-unquote faithful they are to the original. Like, we are going to be looking at some crazy adaptations here, and we're not going to be judging them just solely based on, like, but wait, is this exactly how Charles Dickens did it in the original story? Like, no, we're looking at themes and maybe how, like, the... Um, history, the cultural situation at the time that an adaptation was created might play into the differences in different adaptations. We're going to be looking for clarity of purpose more than anything. Yeah. If you can take a source material and, like, make a great point with it that is completely unrelated to the original source material, we're going to have positive things to say about that. And this goes for, I should probably just say this too, that this isn't solely a uh, Christmas Carol podcast. We're going to be looking um, at different books and different adaptations of those books. And I already can positively say right now that we are going to be looking at some crazy adaptations of books that took stories in completely different directions than their authors would have even been able to comprehend. And we're probably still going to have some very positive things to say about them, depending on how well they explored those themes. Or if they just completely fucked up and, like, made something really bad. Yeah. But overall, I would say that this is less of a judgmental podcast and more, like, analyzing maybe why certain changes happened. So, this is... This episode is kind of basically about creating a rubric where we're gonna kind of, like, look at the different themes that are in the original book, which we just both finished reading, and we're gonna use that as like a guide to exploring how how the story changes in these different adaptations. Yeah, this episode is largely partly to um, just kind of debrief anyone listening to this on A Christmas Carol if they aren't intimately familiar with the source material, um, as well as kind of providing a, a little bit of a map. Um, a guide of things to look for in adaptations, kind of see like, oh, they did this part very differently, or, oh, this part is new, or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, this episode might seem like a little bit pointless to you if you're like, like everyone, you know the story of A Christmas Carol, but this is going to be very useful when we look at, like, for example, War and Peace, which you probably don't know anything about the story of. I know a lot about War and Peace, so just get ready to buckle in for that one. And I know a little about War and Peace, so get ready for that, too. So, the story of A Christmas Carol is all about Ebenezer Scrooge. He's a mean, old, nasty man, rich very rich, 
very important that he's rich. Doesn't spend a lot of his money, though. Also no. a key point. Like, it's not like he's he, rich and he's just like, he's making it rain. He's not. He's The prototypical example of a miser. There you go. But this story at the very start is not about Scrooge. It's about Jacob Marley, his old business partner, and shall I say, some other kind of partner as well. Perhaps. Perhaps. To, to quote, Scrooge was Marley's sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and sole mourner. Maybe even sole mate. We'll get into whether there's a homoerotic relationship between Scrooge and Marley, I think, in looking at various adaptations. Yeah, already going to say that bonus quote-unquote points, this isn't going to be on a point-based system, but bonus points to any adaptation that maybe hints at Scrooge being a little bit more than straight. So, Jacob Marley, if you haven't noticed, is dead. That's what the whole thing about Soul Mourner was about. But, crazy stuff, he shows up in the book as a character, as a ghost. Yeah, I don't know if you guys were ready for that part. It's a ghost story of Christmas, like the second half of the title says. The title really kind of ruins that for you, doesn't it? Yeah, if you're looking for like a suspenseful kind of thing, you might want to skip this one. It's probably good that adaptations in their titles just kind of say, a Christmas Carol, or maybe even just Scrooge or something like that, so you're like a little caught off guard when you see those ghosts. Yeah, because like, what does Scrooge mean? You have no idea. You got to find out. You got to pay for the ticket. So, Marley, his ghost, shows up to tell Scrooge that he's a miserable uh, old bastard, and if he doesn't change his ways, he's going to end up in chains as a ghost and in case you guys were afraid there is totally like a part at the start where like you see how much of a bastard he is mostly expressed by like like his one worker can't even like light a fire without scrooge getting pissed at him his nephew comes in and he's just like hey want to come over for christmas and scrooge is like why would i do something that stupid dickens shows us like man this is not a a cool guy. Dickens makes almost as much of a point of showing how much of a bastard Scrooge is as he does about illustrating the fact that Jacob Marley is in fact dead and the fact that he's there is that he's a ghost. Jacob Marley tells him that he will be visited by three spirits who will show him the error of his ways. And interestingly enough, Unlike some of the adaptations I think we're going to be looking at, Scrooge is, like, way more sympathetic, way faster. Oh, yeah, like, Ghost of Christmas Past comes in. First of all, Ghost of Christmas Past is described as this weird, like, young, old person. Um, With long and muscular arms. I'm imagining, like, a monkey. So basically, um. he's monkey. So basically, he's Monkey. Pretty much as soon as the Ghost of Christmas Past takes Scrooge back to his childhood, which is basically just him, like, studying by himself, Scrooge, like, almost immediately starts breaking down and saying, man, I should have been nicer earlier today, which, like, that was easy. Yeah. 
And then the ghost of Christmas present shows up. Big, burly man. Absolute beast. Again, like, things happen a lot faster than you would maybe think. Because we have Scrooge, like, immediately catching on. Yeah, so we got a couple, like, kind of short scenes about Scrooge's past. We really don't, like, learn that much about him, which I also think is why this, like, relatively short story makes for a lot of movies. Because there's a lot of places to fill in the blanks. Like, literally, like, the... The two times we see Scrooge as a kid, one of them, he is studying alone on Christmas, and the other one, his little sister, comes to pick him up for Christmas. In case you couldn't tell, this story is very Christmas-based. Now, if you were looking for more homoeroticism in the story, look no further than one of the adolescent scenes with Scrooge, where he's hanging out with his uh, fellow apprentice, Dick Wilkins, uh, apparently they, like, sleep in the same bed underneath a counter. Yeah, I, I I, can't imagine why that was left out of adaptations. I think that's a very important part of the story. With the Ghost of Christmas Past having made his point perhaps a little too well, because Scrooge is already, like, on his way to redemption. Well, yeah, because then there's a scene where, like, he's uh, with his fiance and... She's all like, you're a greedy capitalist bastard. And he's like, I can't really argue that. Um, at which point Scrooge is like, man, this is a lot. Can we not do this anymore? Which like, whoa, he's already melting. So then we encounter the ghost of Christmas present who comes around. Big burly man. He's got his... Like, there's an illustration in the book with his chest just, like, exposed in oh, the cold winter. Oh, total BDE. I want to point out how much time Charles Dickens takes to describe, like, all the food his throne is made out of. Yeah, that doesn't seem super sanitary, but it's ghost food, so who knows what's going on there. It also doesn't seem like an important point to dwindle on, but man, does he dwindle. Dwell? I think you mean dwell. Sure. Dwindle means like it slowly disappears and shrinks. That makes sense. So I think you were going for dwell. I'm going to keep this in, by the way. All right. The ghost of Christmas present shows Scrooge his sole employee, Bob Cratchit, who is, unlike Scrooge, very poor, but also, unlike Scrooge, pretty happy with his life and has a Bob family Bob Cratchit knows what love is, unlike Scrooge, apparently. So yeah. that's one thing they've got going for them. And he also has a young disabled child. And yes, he is called a cripple in the book. Yeah, he is. 1843, they called him a cripple. Uh, his name, his name, as far as I can tell, is Tiny Tim. Like, they never refer to him as Timothy or just Tim. He's always Tiny Tim. Like, in case maybe you thought that, like, Tiny Tim is something that Scrooge calls him. Like, oh, no, his own family, his own father is like, hey, Tiny Tim, come over here. Yeah, they, like, they exclusively refer to him as Tiny Tim. It might be on his First birth name, Tiny. Middle name, Tim. Last name, Cratchit. Having encountered this, the Ghost of Christmas Present then takes him along to see Scrooge's own nephew's party, which is a lot of fun to the point that, like, Scrooge, despite the fact that no one can see or hear him, like, tries to get involved in their party games. <laughs> Stupid old man. 
Yeah. Stupid. Also, they keep, like, referencing Scrooge in very, like, mean ways. And Scrooge is just kind of like, man, what a party. Yeah, everyone is talking a lot about Scrooge, like, all the time. And, you know, for a guy who, like, very clearly is meant to be, like, someone that no one cares about other than himself, people talk about him a lot. I mean, to be fair, it is mostly negative. But at the same time, we have, like, Bob Cratchit and Fred, who is, like, only referred to as Scrooge's nephew, even after he gets a name. Um, we have Bob and Fred constantly being like, hey, guys, Scrooge, actually not that bad. Which is weird, considering how many times, even in this, like, little snippet of Scrooge's life alone, he just goes out of his way to be a real asshole to these guys. So I don't know why, like, they keep standing him and defending him. Now, to really drive the point home, the Ghost of Christmas Present reveals at the very end of this chapter that he has been hiding two small, starving orphan children underneath his robe this, I guess, the entire time, uh, named Ignorance and Want. And that's, I mean, that really is, like, all there is to say about that. Yeah, that's, that's a weird moment. There's a lot of things that Dickens, like, goes out of his way to describe for several paragraphs. He does not dwell on the subject of ignorance and want for long enough to figure out what exactly their deal is. Because, like, the thing I'm just confused about is, are the children the result of want and ignorance? Which, like, would make sense, because they're, like, these starving children in poverty, so it's like, this is what too much want and ignorance in the world creates. Or are they supposed to be want and ignorance themselves? Because if they're supposed to be the representations of want and ignorance, then isn't it good if they're starving and poor? Because, like, don't we want... We don't want ignorance to be strong and healthy, do we? Yeah, uh, I don't know exact. I don't really know exactly what the point of, like, ignorance was here. Because, like, want, I get. Like, okay, people need to be fed and clothed and stuff, so want is very important. Ignorance seems, like, less important to, like, a charity angle. Well, I feel like he's trying to, because he's like, beware these two. So, like, want, I think it's want in the sense of, like, wanting extra, like, wanting okay. excess. It's not just like, oh, I want food. It's like, I want food more. I want more food to the point where I'm going to take it from other people, kind of the miser angle. Um, so it's like, okay, want and ignorance, they're bad things. So then why is Scrooge's response, wait, is there, like, like a charity for them? And Christmas present is, like... Are there not prisons? Like, wait, wait, are we supposed to be defending want and ignorance after he's already said beware them? They did not explain very well the thing about ignorance and want. So we'll be looking for that in adaptations. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell, the original story is a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird. And so there are definitely some things that we're going to be looking for to see if like anyone keeps them in. Of course, then, we have our man, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which I feel like in most adaptations is just ghost of Christmas future. He's the Grim Reaper, basically. Basically, but Scrooge does not realize this for, like, ten paragraphs. He does not realize, despite the fact that, like, he really, really should have realized by now, he, it takes him a long time to figure out that the guy who died and everyone is talking about him super negatively is him. 
Even though, like, he's already had 90% of a change of heart by now, and, like, he should realize that, like, he was a terrible guy. Like, he, he understands that by he now. He even admits he's a terrible guy, and at one point, he, like, extremely obtusely is like, is this supposed to be, like, a guy who's like me, so I don't turn out like him? Like, dude, no, you're, like, 70. You're gonna die soon. Yeah. I think it's quite possible that Scrooge just never realized that he's going to die until this moment. Yeah, I mean, the way that he, like, totally breaks down when he sees his grave. Like, really? You couldn't have, have figured out? Have you never out... thought about this before, up till this point? You couldn't have figured out that we were leading up to this, the whole chapter? Even at Jacob's funeral, were you not like, man, my own funeral's gonna suck? Like, he's a soul mourner. His he Like, in that moment, was there no thought of... Who will be my mourner? I apparently not. Apparently not. I also, I do remember in most adaptations that there's like that scene where like the ghost of Christmas future or yet to come or whatever shows him like those poor people. I don't remember them talking about how they went into his house to steal his stuff. That, yeah, I think most adaptations probably are going to make those guys out to be a little more virtuous. Yeah, because this is a weird kind of like, wait, what are you saying about the poor Charles Dickens? <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe the point is like, is it really so bad that they did this considering how little he gave in life? You know, I sure, think that's maybe the sure. angle that, I mean, like I personally didn't harbor much ill will towards these guys because I was like, hey, you know, Scrooge kind of had this coming. But like, it's still a weird, th it's, it's a weird thing to fixate on too. Like there's five, at least five paragraphs about like these house robbers now something i'm going to be looking for in adaptations from this part of the story is the guy who is talking about scrooge and he says uh he never eats lunch i think that's just an interesting little uh that's like an interesting i want to hear more about this guy for a guy that we get like a couple lines of dialogue from no name no physical description all that we really know about him is he doesn't eat lunch which is an interesting thing so we're going to be looking to see what adaptations bother to include this guy and like, whether they whether any of them expand on the subject of what it's like for a person to go their entire life without eating lunch because remember how we got that whole paragraph at fred's party about that guy named bottom and how he's like chasing around this like slightly overweight woman you're thinking of topper his name is not bottom <laughs> sorry i was thinking you know it's a, it's a similar concept right. either way it's a term it's a like a nickname that just kind of calls him out like that seems a little personal <laughs> yeah okay sorry his name is so. not bottom his name is topper it's a similar concept literally the opposite though Though I think maybe if you have to call yourself Topper, you might be a really insecure bottom. So you were getting into, like, some psychoanalysis of this Topper guy. Yeah, no, I think he might actually um, be a bottom who is just really insecure about it. Anyway, so we get, like, a whole paragraph about Topper. Um, but we don't get, like, any information about I never eat lunch guy. I really want to know more about the guy who never eats lunch. I am begging to hear more about the guy who doesn't eat lunch. If if we can't find an adaptation, someone please write a fan fiction about the guy who doesn't eat lunch. Tell us about his day-to-day -day life and send that into the podcast, please. Also, there um, is a pretty fucked up part 
where, because I mean, at this point, we're already pretty sympathetic for Scrooge, because he's kind of like, like, even before the Ghost of Christmas Future comes, he's already like, man, I gotta donate money to charity. When I, if I get out of this alive, I'm gonna be such a better person. So we're like, all right, Scrooge, that was really easy. And so now we just get this weird, like, kind of emotionally painful part where he's like, uh, does anybody feel anything about my death? And then, um, the Grim Reaper takes us over to the Cratchit house where they're no, like- No, 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 it's not whether anyone feels bad about his death, it's about whether anyone oh, feels no, bad about I'm sorry. the guy he doesn't recognize his death. Which, again, it's weird that he doesn't recognize him, because then, like, why would he care so much about how people feel about his death? And, like, there's a whole part where the spirit takes him to see- his own corpse, but it's, like, wrapped in a sheet so he doesn't see his face. And, like, he doesn't recognize that it's his own bedroom, and the, and Dickens is like, oh, well, it was dark, so he didn't recognize that it was his own bedroom. You would think he would at least recognize, like, you know, his four-poster bed that we get so much detail about. Um, Lots of four-poster bed action. We'll be looking for that in adaptations. Yeah. Um, but, like... Basically, Scrooge is just too much of a pussy to pull the sheet back. And the ghost of Christmas yet to come keeps, like, gesturing towards it. And he's like, I can't do it. And so then they just move on from there. Um, so anyway, Scrooge sees his own grave and he's like, holy shit, that's my grave. And then he, like, breaks down. And then all of a sudden, he's back in his bedroom and it's Christmas morning. And he just, like turns into kind of a gibbering madman. It's kind of weird. It goes longer than I think most of the adaptations are going to go. Like they really they really keep going on the theme of him like totally freaking out and like laughing to the point of being crazy. Like I think it's one thing to like oh he's like a nice man now, but this one just kind of makes him like weird and creepy. Just a little bit. There's also, like, a weird detailed part where, like, this kid just wanders into his house. <laughs> and he's like, hey, buy me a really big turkey. I'm gonna send it to the Cratchit family. And, like, then he, like, pays the boy to take it to them, too. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then also, um, this has always been one of my favorite scenes in adaptations. Where, like, he gets to work super fast and then he, like, pretends to be super mean when Bob Cratchit comes in. Because, like, I guess he's still got a little bit of asshole in him. <laughs> like he, but like funny asshole now. But funny asshole. He's like exactly. Andy Kaufman. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's like, "Why are you late to work?" And Bob Cratchit's like, "Oh fuck, I'm sorry." And then he's like, "Ha, ah, surprise! I'm giving you a pay raise." Um, and then in like one sentence, let's let's just go ahead and read it. Okay, here's the sentence. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. So, first of all, it does not say tini Tiny Tim, who did not die, like, before growing up, or in the next few years. Like, no, it just says he didn't die. He might still be alive today. If, if anyone can reach out to Tiny Tim, if he's still out there in London somewhere... And get him to come on the podcast to discuss this with us. That would be really appreciated. This Tiny Tim guy has got to think that all these adaptations are pretty fucked up. So maybe he doesn't want to come on here. I respect that if he doesn't want to come on the show. 
Yeah. So it's just who did not die. Like, wait, you mean ever? Excuse me. I mean, I know that this book has been all about the paranormal, but so far it's just kind of been like, maybe he dreamed the whole thing. But no, Tiny Tim just didn't die. And I mean, we can presume that he means that Tiny Tim doesn't die soon, and it's because Scrooge pays for his medical bills, but he doesn't say that. We spent all of this time talking about stuff like what kind of food makes up the ghost of Christmas presents throne, and about our man Topper for some reason. And the and guy yet, who doesn't eat lunch. I mean, actually, we should have had more about that guy. Yeah, and here we are at the end of this novella, and all we get is Tiny Tim didn't die, and Scrooge was like his second dad. Like, Whoa, 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 I think we need at least one scene where, like, Scrooge is, like, teaching Tiny Tim how to walk or something. Maybe he was running out of manuscript paper at the end there. Yeah, that's a bit of a weird moment. I will say, though, that the book, like most adaptations, does end with the God bless us everyone line. God bless us everyone. So... Uh, clearly there's a lot of things that we're going to be specifically looking for. Obviously there's a lot of things that adaptations have the opportunity to improve on about the original story. Oh yeah, for sure. A lot and of meat to cut. And one thing I will point out is that, like, um, here's an example of a fairly short source material that totally opens itself up for, like, feature-length adaptations. Like, you don't have to stretch here. Like, there's a lot of weird pacing. Like, Scrooge's childhood and his whole, like, thing with his fiance just kind of gets zoomed right past. And then we, like, read a lot, a weird amount about, like, Fred's party and... And then also, like, we pointed out how the ending seems really rushed considering how much detail was spent on other things throughout the story. So there's clearly a lot of, like, okay, things to be snipped out, but also, like, there are many blanks to fill. And a lot of, like, the story is very ambiguous. Like, is he dreaming this? Are ghosts real? I do like the part where it says that the ghost, the ghost of Jacob Marley has been, like, watching him for years and he never realized because that's like just super creepy obviously and then also like he sees the other ghosts of the world who are just like wailing because they can't do what jacob marley is doing anymore which is help people i feel like most people when reading this um probably ever, have had, like, a whole lot of questions, which is probably why there are so many adaptations, at least part of why. Because, there like, are literally hundreds of adaptations. We are probably, I think the plan right now is we're going to, like, do maybe kind of, like, one per day for as long as we can until we get to Christmas, and then next December... We're going to go back to it because there's just that many adaptations. And we can probably keep doing this for several years. So yeah, one of my many questions, and I'm not ask I'm not necessarily saying that like these are faults in Dickens's writing. Like I'm not here to like ruin anybody's fun and be like this story has so many plot holes in it cuz it doesn't really. You know, it's a simple story. But at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of questions that arise from reading this, and they're questions that like would be interesting to keep in mind while going through the adaptations that we're going to. So, like, first of all, is Jacob Marley summoning these spirits? 
That's a good question. We don't really know whether this is like an assignment that Jacob Marley has been given by God or whatever. Or if it's one of those like it's a wonderful life things where it's like this is how he like gets some kind of reward. We do know that Jacob Marley's afterlife is really bad. Oh, it totally sucks, but it may be, maybe helping Scrooge will make it a little better. I mean, we would hope so. We don't find that out for sure. And it would like, it would probably have been nice to have like a little- Oh no, a little Jacob Marley closure, I think would be a nice addition to this story. I kind of hope that at least one adaptation that we go through does that. Cause it does kind of suck that like Scrooge meets up with his one friend and then never sees him again. Every time a bell rings, Jacob Marley gets a chain taken off. I hope, so. we can only hope. Um, also, are these spirits, like, just visiting Scrooge? Yeah, you would think that, like, if these if these spirits, like, do they, like, reach out to everybody who's as mean as Scrooge? Because that seems like they would be pretty busy. We have a lot of people who resemble Scrooge in real life. Yeah, and Charles Dickens really does not make any attempt to tie this into, like, Judeo-Christian thought. Like, there's really no, like... Also, it's not quite clear if, like, the ghosts of Christmas that visit him, if they are, like, dead people, or if they are, like, a different kind of spirit. That's not clear either. Because it seems like they're more powerful than Jacob Marley, or else he would have been able to take him to all these Christmases himself. We know that the ghost of Christmas present definitely isn't a person who died, because, like, they... It actually gets kind of weird, because, like, he explains that, like, Every Christmas, a new ghost of Christmas present is born, and then at the end of, like, at midnight on December 26th, he, like, gets old and dies. Which is a little sad. Like, we just met this guy, and he's dying. And it's especially weird when you compare it to the other two, the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas yet to come, because both of them clearly, like, exist for more than a single day. Oh yeah, at least. Like, it seems like they're just kind of, they are fixed spirits, whereas, like, you only got this one chance to talk to this ghost at Christmas present, and then he's just gonna cease to exist. Yeah. Does he become a ghost ghost? And it's especially kind of weird, because the ghost of Christmas, he, he, like, watches the ghost of Christmas present disappear, but then, like, he wakes up and it's still Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, the whole the, the clock thing, now that I think about it, is kind of weird because Charles Dickens spends a lot of time talking about, like, what times um, Scrooge can hear. Like, he goes to bed at, like, he goes to bed at, like, two at first, and then he wakes up to the clock ringing midnight, which isn't really explained how that or why that happened. Yeah. I mean, like, really the only reason that that happens is just to give Scrooge an opportunity to go, oh my god, the spirits did it all in one night, which is fun, but, like, but it's still, it's a it doesn't weird... quite work logistically. Did the ghost really, like, go to the trouble of transporting him back in time two hours just to freak him out? As you do. Just, just to, like, scare an old man? Like, he's already gonna be pretty fucking spooked by, like, his own death was it really necessary to fuck up with like the time of this timeline too who knows maybe the ghosts knew exactly the right amount of scaring scaring straight that he needed 
Uh, this really is a scared straight kind of deal. Yeah, maybe not straight. We'll talk about oh, that. Interesting. Um, I would like to say that thinking about historical and cultural context, this story really did kind of popularize the idea of a secular Christmas. Because as I said, like this story really is not about Christianity whatsoever. To the point where it's almost a little weird considering that it's from the 1840s. Yeah, and it's actually like they... they like, so much of the story is about the afterlife, and yet they, like, specifically avoid any notion of heaven or hell. That or, is very or, interesting. Or even God. Like, I wonder if this pissed off, like, people of the church at the time. Probably. They're easy to piss off. It's true. Uh, sorry if there are any clergymen listening to this. I think part of what makes this story so good for adaptations, I already kind of said this, that, like, the story is so ambiguous and left open for interpretation that, like, there are so many ways to interpret this. Like, all these questions that we raised are not given anything near a definitive answer. So there are so many different directions you can take the story in. Like, you could pretty clearly make this a more Christian story if you wanted to. You could also, like, there's, um... As much as the writing is very British and Victorian, it really, like, the themes are so universal and nonspecific that, like, it's practically begging for modern adaptations. And, like I, like, I think it's kind of a natural conclusion if you're reading this to, like, hey, there are people like this in the world today. Why not talk about those people, too? Kind of the whole idea behind A Christmas Carol is to scare the Scrooges in the world into being nicer, donating to charity, and etc. Um, without having to literally summon ghosts on them. Um, the power of literature. Another interesting thing, I think, to think about when we're looking at Christmas Carol adaptations is that this is a fairly, I don't know if I would say politically, but like... Charles Dickens was clearly thinking about society. We live in a society while writing A Christmas Carol. So we would hope that adaptations would also take this view of thinking of this story as, as maybe a way of changing people's hearts. And because really a lot of attention is paid in this story towards like Scrooge's own bullshit about like, we should decrease the surplus population. And then Scrooge snaps his fingers and a half of whatever. So basically, the season that follows, we're going to be looking at many different adaptations of A Christmas Carol, and we're going to be exploring how they deal with certain themes, whether they uh, improve on the original book, because there's room for improvement. A lot. Whether they fail to improve, whether they try to be faithful... Especially to look at them comparatively. I will say the one thing I will be looking out for in particular, which is why I made a special note of it, is like how adaptations take this story and like examine society at large. Like it's not about this one old guy, but like how there are a lot of people in the world like this and how we can change their minds and what, um, what real goodness looks like. Okay. So, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely the rest are probably going to be a lot more fun to listen to. If you didn't enjoy this one, I would still hope that you keep listening, because 
we've never done this before, and also this is just kind of a boring episode to get through because I assume a lot of you know the story already, and, like, there's not much to say. There's not much to say. So There's nothing to compare it to so far. So, in conclusion, uh, I'm Ben Schultz. I'm Nora Schultz. And this has been Trying to Adapt. <laughs>